wrestling. Oh, no, I know it's fake as anything, but it's just amazing. I just remember as a kid, my brother would like suplex me onto the couch and everything. It was just, it was so much fun. And I'm all about the old school wrestlers, Hulk Hogan, I don't know, Jake the Snake Roberts, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Ric Flair, yeah, Macho Man Randy Savage. But then all the new ones came in and I got a bit of The Rock and I don't know, he's good fun too. Yeah, it's good fun, but China Haystacks, yeah, The Undertaker, I don't know. <laughs> but I loved wrestling growing up and then like, I've, I've not kind of brought the kids up on wrestling because I don't know, it's, it's not good to encourage violence, is it? But inadvertently, I seem to have raised a wrestler and Toby is just, he's just very aggressive in his nature and it's not through anything that we've talked because you look at Caleb and he's the polar opposite. He's this kind of gentle soul and he just likes his, his space and a bit of peace. But Toby, straight out of the womb, he's just like punching and kicking and he likes to headbutt. He's a headbutter. It's all good though. And occasionally we, we have a bit of a wrestle, but even at four he can do me some damage, like trying to fake it and pretend like he's winning, but actually he kind of he kind of is winning a little bit. Where am I going with this though? I've got a point. I've got a point to my, my silly video. We're gonna talk this morning about wrestling. Yes. Not WWE or WWF, whatever it is, but wrestling with God. In fact, we're going to look at one of the greatest wrestling matches ever recorded, and that's what I've titled my sermon, The Greatest Wrestling Match Ever. And it might surprise you to know that it's in this book. The greatest wrestling match ever is in this book, and we're going to get there um, later on, but I'm going to give you a little bit of, a little bit of scene setting, a bit of context. Um, but it's about a guy named Jacob who finds himself in this position of, of desperation. He's alone. He's... He's struggling with, with all kinds of stuff. And then, and then one night he comes across a man and they wrestle. They wrestle all night long. And it wasn't until the fight was nearly over the next day that he realizes it was God. So why don't we pray and then we'll jump into this, into this message. Lord God, I thank you that we can have fun in church. I thank you that we can, uh, we can have a laugh. But also I thank you that we can just focus on you and we can look to you for inspiration, for encouragement and I just pray this morning that you will speak through the words you've given me this morning that we will be challenged and inspired and I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else. So we just pray this morning Holy Spirit that your will be done in this place. In Jesus name, Amen. Before I jump on, it's good to honour people, isn't it? It's great to have Sonia here this morning. Sonia was one of my youth leaders, and so for years she spent, uh, you know, wrestling with me as a rebellious teenager, trying to encourage me in God's word, and it's great to have you here this morning with your husband. Um, and so just bless you and your ministry that you're involved in. It's great to see, and it's, it's encouraging. We were just saying before that there's, there's a number of us from our youth group now in ministry, and it's, it's just great to see, actually, all those years that you you know, dedicated and put into, into us is, is paying off. It's good. So we're going to look at Jacob versus God, this wrestling match that happened. Some Bibles say he wrestled an angel. Um, we can have a theological debate later on if you want. I think it was God. Um, so we'll get to that. But let me just give you a little bit of kind of backstory, some context to lay the groundwork for the main event when we get there, Jacob versus God. So Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and he was a twin. He was a twin. His brother Esau came out first, 
Um, and then Jacob followed swiftly on his heels. It said he was literally holding on to the heel of his brother as he came out. I can't imagine for Rebecca what that was like, but there was no rest as she was giving birth, one and then the other. But actually, there was some real importance in those few seconds of birth that Esau came first and Jacob came second because with being the firstborn came some, uh, some authority and came some kind of uh, credence. So actually, because Esau was first, he had the, the birthright, if you will, to the family's estate. So as the firstborn, Esau was, was going to be appointed as the, the head of the household. He would be eligible for a double portion of the, the family's inheritance. And as well as a birthright, the firstborn also had right to a greater blessing from the father. So the father was, was able to bless his children as any father would. But the firstborn, it says, gets the greater blessing. So there was real relevance and real importance and, and real kind of a, a credence to, to being the first born child and that was Esau and, and Jacob swiftly followed and I think that was part of what led to Esau actually being his father's favorite we're not supposed to have favorites as parents are we as I'm saying that the parents of the room have thought of their favorite child and they're quickly saying no no they're not my favorite but no you're not supposed to have favorites are you but I think in this situation Isaac preferred and favoured Esau. And that was partly because he was the firstborn and, and a lot comes with that. But it wasn't just about being firstborn. It was also because of his character. And it says that, that Esau, was a, he was a man's man. He was a man's man. In fact, he came out of the womb and it described him as wearing a hairy coat. And so they named him Esau, which means hairy. Great. I mean... Uh, Imagine the, the mother going around showing this newborn, but oh, isn't he cute? Have a look. <laughs> this hairy beast in her arms. But he was a man's man. He was very outdoorsy. He liked to go hunting. He liked to do manly things. And then swiftly on his heels was, was Jacob. He was more of a mummy's boy, and that's okay. He was gentle. He was quiet in spirit. He liked his alone time. He liked to cook, it says, so there was these kind of polar opposites of these two brothers. And I think because of, of Esau's character and because he was the firstborn, he was favored by his father. So you've got Esau that means hairy one, and, and that's what they named him. But then literally following on his heels out of the womb came Jacob. And, and the name Jacob means to, uh, it means to follow on another's heels. So they kind of literally named him after that. But it also means supplanter. Um, which can be to, to take something from its proper place and replace it with something else. It basically means cheater. It means deceiver. And so there were these two characters, and they were, they were basically polar opposites in, their, in the way that they did life. And so you can imagine the kind of brotherly rivalry that would come between these two twin brothers. And as a, as a younger brother myself, I know that it's natural to have those kind of rivalries isn't there within family and you know I look at my older brother and he might have got the uh, intelligence and he might have got the height but well that's about all he got um you know and I, I tell him that quite regularly and I, I just think it's, it's good that you've got these kind of rivalries within within family life so there were these two brothers and they had this rivalry going on and it got to the point where actually Jacob began to live up to his name and so one day Esau comes in from hunting and he's no doubt all sweaty and he throws his cloak on the floor and he, he smells what Jacob spent all day in the kitchen cooking and he says, Oi, 
give me some. You can almost imagine because he's manly, he's got a gruff voice. And Jacob's there stirring his pot in the kitchen. Oi, give me some. Smells good, that. And so Jacob kind of recognizes an opportunity here. So he cuts him a deal. He says, all right, you can have some of my stew that I've been slaving over all day. You can have it if you want it, but I want your birthright. I want your birthright in exchange for this bowl of stew. Well, Esau's hungry. He's tired. He's like, yeah, okay, go on then. With just no regard for the importance of this thing that he's deciding to, to give up. And so he tucks into his bowl of stew and Jacob's thinking, all right, good deal for me. I've, I've now basically earned twice as much inheritance as, as my brother, all for a bowl of stew. I mean, it's just not a good deal in anyone's books, but Esau went for it. And so life goes on and, and God blesses that family and it becomes very very wealthy and that's only going to benefit Jacob in the long run really because they've done this deal and and Esau's kind of just handed over his birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew and and life goes on but although he cheated his brother out of his birthright he still doesn't have his father's blessing you see no matter what happened between the two brothers Isaac still looked on Esau more favorably he was still the favorite. He was still the one who he would, you know, he would chat to of an evening and he would invest in in that, kind of, uh, in that kind of sense. And so once again, living up to his name, an opportunity arrives for Jacob to, to cheat his way out of the birthright as well. So this kind of interaction goes on between Isaac and Esau and, and Isaac in his old age and now kind of you know, short of sight and, and coming to the end of his life, he says to his favorite son, oh, would you just go and hunt me down some deer, go and get me some venison so I can have one final delicious meal of the meat that you can only hunt and go and get that for me and let's have some food together and I'm going to bless you. And so Esau's, Esau goes off and he begins to kind of do his hunting thing and meanwhile, Rebecca, the mum, had, had caught wind of this conversation. And so she kind of runs to Jacob and says, look, this is what's happening. But I want you to have the blessing. So let's, I've got a plan. I've got a cunning plan, she says in the voice of Baldrick. And so they cook up this plan, which is just utterly ridiculous. And so she says to Jacob, go out into the field, get your two best goats, bring them in, kill them, make one of your amazing stews, and then go and deliver it to your father because he's short of sight now. So as long as he tastes the, the good food, you'll be able to persuade him that you're your brother. Well, Jacob's like, well, that sounds great, but I mean, he's a lot hairier than I am. He's got a deeper voice than I have. He smells totally different to me. How on earth are we going to pull this off? She's like, it's okay. I've got a plan. You make the stew. So off he goes to make the stew. And she takes the, the, some fine clothes from Esau's wardrobe and says, here, put, put these garments on. Okay, that's great. Well, now I kind of look a bit more like him and, and I've got the stew and, and maybe I smell a bit like him because of the clothes, but... I'm not hairy like him. I'm quite a smooth boy. And so she says, okay, well, let's get the goat skin and we'll put it on. So she put the goat skin on his hands and on the smooth of his neck to give him this kind of hairy appearance. And I'm like, okay, fine. It's a bit, bit odd. But off he goes into the, the bedroom and he delivers this stew to his dad. And, and it, it feels a little bit Little Red Riding Hood to me. 
His dad's in bed and he says, Esau, is that you? You, you smell like, like Esau, but you don't quite sound like him. You've got a different, you sound like Jacob. Come a bit closer. So he beckons him in. Come closer. And as he leans in, he can smell the, the fragrance of his brother, probably just sweat because he was a man's man and he was out hunting all the time. But he got this, this smell because of the clothes. And then he literally asks if he can stroke him just to check that it's the right, it's the right brother. So he gives him a stroke and because of the goat skin, he's like, okay, well, you're hairy like him. You smell like him. You've done what I asked you to do. It must be you. And so he goes on to, to bless Jacob, let me read what it says in this blessing. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So he gets this blessing. He's not only cheated his brother out of the birthright, he's then gone on to cheat him out of the father's blessing. And it says in the scripture that Jacob had barely left the room when in comes Esau to deliver his stew. And I mean, imagine the confusion of his dad, like, but we just did, I know I'm old, but we just did this, didn't we? And Esau's like, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I mean, he must have been fuming, absolutely fuming that his brother had once again cheated him out of something that he was, he was owed. And so kind of desperate in this, in this sense, it, realizing what's gone, he's like, well, you must have kept something back for me. Surely you, you're allowed to bless me as well. So can I have your blessing? And, and so his dad says, come, come close, let me bless you. And he, and he says this, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling. Away from the dew of heaven on high, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Not quite the blessing that I think he was after when he was, he was pleading for, just give me something, give me anything, give me something of your favor, because I'm the firstborn, I, I deserve this, it's my right. And he'd been cheated out of it. And so understandably, he plans to, to get revenge on his brother. And he, he literally says he's going to kill him. When his, when his dad's died, he's going to hunt Jacob down and he's going to take his life. And so once again, mum gets wind and she says, listen, Jacob, you know, you've got what, what I believe you deserve, but things aren't going to go well for you if you stick around here. So why don't you go off now? You go and hide and maybe while you're in hiding, you can find yourself a, a nice bride and settle down because you've got your inheritance, you've got your blessing, you've got what, what you should have. So off you go. And he goes off and he, he makes a life for himself and he, he meets a young lady. And, uh, and so the kind of custom of that day is to go to the, the father and, and, and ask for kind of approval. So it, it's a lady called Rachel and he says, I want to I marry your daughter, Rachel. She's beautiful. Let her be my bride. And so the dad, seeing an opportunity, is like, yeah, okay. You can work for seven years for me. Seven whole years, and then, only then, can you have my daughter's hand in marriage. Well, he must have been smitten because he worked those seven years. He plowed his, his time and his efforts into working, and the end of that seven-year period came, and they had the wedding, and it was a, a great celebration, and then that evening came where it was time to 
you know, go into the bedroom and consummate their marriage. And somehow, and I have no idea how this mistake could ever happen, the father swapped his daughter, Rachel, for his elder daughter, Leah. And Jacob didn't realize until the morning after when he woke up next to the wrong woman and was like, what's happened? How on earth that can happen? I have no idea, but it did. And so it was kind of, I don't know, maybe this is a message for another time. It seems like it's a message about reaping what you sow because he'd been deceitful his entire life and then it came to this chance for him to marry his dream bride and he was cheated out of his dream bride for another woman for the eldest daughter because I suppose the the right thing to do in those days was for the eldest daughter to get married first so the father was just doing the right thing by his daughters but very much the wrong thing for Jacob so Jacob the next day is like okay you've done that that's happened she's now my wife excellent but I still want to marry Rachel because she's the woman that I love and so the father says okay you can still marry Rachel but that's going to be another seven years please so he kind of cracks on and, 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 marry, and works for another seven years to kind of get, get what he really wanted. Now I realize that's kind of a long preamble to, to essentially to get to the message, but it's important for us to, to understand and to grasp hold of the journey that Jacob had gone through to get him to the moment that we pick up the story. You see, he'd, he'd been striving for something his entire life. He'd been jealous of his brother that he was going to get the, the birthright and he was going to get the greatest blessing. So he strived and he fought and he deceived his way into gaining that inheritance. And then he'd gone off and he'd been, he'd been played by his, uh, his bride's father and, and that kind of stuff all went on. But then he lived a good life and he, he enjoyed life and he, he had children and and he, he gained great wealth, and, and then he felt prompted by God to return home. He felt God saying to him, do you know what? You need to go back home to your brother, and you need to restore that relationship. You need to go home, despite how scary that may feel, because he's out to kill you still. Go back home and restore that relationship. So Jacob kind of recognizes the the, the I know the scariness of this situation because God's telling him to do something so he has to be obedient in that. But he recognizes that his brother wants to kill him. So this isn't quite an inviting uh, challenge from God. It's something that he's a bit scared about. So he sets off on this journey, but ahead of him he sends some messengers. Go ahead of me and, and tell my brother that I'm coming. Tell him that I'm sorry. In fact, why don't I send a whole bunch of of people and, and animals and, and just a great big gift to say, look how sorry I am. Please accept my forgiveness. So he's trying to kind of soften that blow before he actually comes face to face with his brother and, and says he's sorry himself. And so he, he sends off this, these messengers with the gifts that he's, he's provided and they return back to him and say, well, your brother's actually on his way to meet you too. And, and he's brought with him 400 men. Okay, well, I was scared at first, but things are not looking great for me right now. And so he cries out to God. He cries out to God and he says, God, deliver me from the hands of my brother. You promised to bring restoration. You see, God had called him 
to go back to his brother. God had called him to go and build, rebuild that relationship, to go and restore what's was, what was once broken. So he had this promise from God. And so he knew that actually that promise wasn't going to be broken. So he, he just felt, let me just remind God. Let me just remind you before I go and face my brother who wants to kill me and his 400 men. Let me just remind you, you promised that this would go well for me. And so that brings us to the main event. This brings us to the main event, and it's found in Genesis 32, and we're going to start reading it at verse 22. It says this. So he sent off, he sent off all his family, he sent off all the people, and he's alone. The same night he arose, he took his wives and his female servants and his children and crossed the ford of Jabok, and he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Puniel, limping because of his hip. It's interesting from this passage that it's God that instigates the fight. It's the man that starts this, this wrestling match, not Jacob. You see, Jacob was, wasn't, he definitely wasn't in the right frame of mind for a fight. He was alone. He was about to face something incredibly scary. He was probably looking for some comfort and some assurance. And so he was just spending a bit of time alone. Maybe he was praying. And then this man jumps him and they start to grapple and they start to wrestle and they wrestle all night. You know, it's only a short passage. It just says he was alone and he met a man and they wrestled. And, and it's like, okay, bang, 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 this happened. But it happened all night. They wrestled and they fought all night and as it gets to the to daybreak as it gets to morning it it almost implies that Jacob is winning this fight then the man saw that he did not prevail in other words the man saw he wasn't going to win this fight Jacob was winning but if this is God how, how does that work if Jacob's actually wrestling God how how could he possibly be winning in this fight it's just not possible is it and then it says this, seeing that he wasn't going to win, he touched Jacob's hip, wrenching it out of its socket. So if this man's finger had the power to take a hip out of its socket, how on earth did a full-on grapple and wrestling match, was he not able to defeat Jacob? You see, I believe that this is a vision of, of God desperately trying to bring Jacob and indeed all of us to a place where we recognize our weakness. 
to a place where we recognize our own selfishness and our, our failures and the sin that we keep falling back into. You see, when we come to the end of ourselves, it's there that we find Jesus. When we come to the end of ourself, it's there that we find Jesus. So what I want to ask you this morning is, what are you wrestling with? What is it that you're wrestling with this morning? Is it, is it finances? Is it some habitual sin that you find yourself doing time and, and time again? Is it, is it health? Is it, is it grief? Is it circumstance? What, what are you wrestling with this morning? And as we wrestle with these, strength, with these things in our own strengths, as we try to, to fight in our own strength, God's hand is all over our life. It's all over us with his, his merciful hand resting on us, willing us to a place where we recognize our own weakness. He's willing us to come to a place where we recognize that in our own strength, we cannot overcome. You see, God is for us, and that truth will never change. God is for us. He's with us. He's got our back, as Gary was saying earlier. You know, he desires that with, with all that he is, with all of his, his nature, with everything that makes him God, he desires to, to help us to recognize that we can't overcome things in our own strength. We are too weak on our own. But in his strength, in his strength, we can overcome. You see, the reality is that, that he could have won that fight. But he doesn't want to force us into this. You see, I think as, as Christians, one of the greatest questions that comes to us from, from non-Christians is, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God step in? Well, I think if God stepped into their lives and forced them to live in line with, with what he wants, they probably wouldn't appreciate it. They probably wouldn't enjoy it. It's okay to say, why didn't God step in and, and, and heal this person? Why didn't God stop that natural disaster? Okay, but if we're going to allow God in to, to do that, we also need to allow God in to stop us from living a life of sin. You can't just pick and choose which bits of God you want him to influence. It's kind of like a, an all or nothing situation and and so God doesn't force us to do anything. He wants us to come to a place where we recognize it ourselves. And so we get to a place where we acknowledge his strengths and our failures. Yes, you see, as we wrestle with God, it's then that we recognize that we're weak. That we're weak, that we're helpless, that, that we can't in our own humanity overcome things. In Matthew 10, 39, it says, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, God likes to flip things on their head. He likes to, to make things all kinds of upside down. And if we're going to win the fight, we first need to lose. We first need to come to a place of surrender. James Boyce said this as I was researching this passage. It's not that Jacob was seeking God so earnestly that when God, as it were, got close to him, he grappled with him and refused to let him go until he blessed him. It is true that Jacob later begged for a blessing, but at the beginning, it's not Jacob who seeks God to wrestle with him. Rather, it's God who comes to wrestle with Jacob. 
to bring him to a point of both physical and spiritual submission. You see, in a wrestling match, there's two ways for that fight to end. It can be in a pin, where one opponent pins the other and the, 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 guy, the referee comes and counts to three and that's it, game over. Or it's through submission, where one person gets their other opponent in a, in a grapple to the point where they recognize themselves they can't win this fight, so they acknowledge defeat. God could pin us if he wanted to. Don't ever doubt that for one second. If God wanted to, he could pin you down and force you into his will. But that's not the God we serve. That's not the God that we worship. He's a God who wants to gently guide us and direct us into his path and into his will so that we get to a point where we recognize ourselves, our own weakness. And we say, do you know what? You are stronger than me. You do know better than me. Your ways are higher than my ways. So I surrender to you. I surrender to you. You see, when we understand our weakness, we come to a place of surrender. And it's there that we find God. It's there that we find God. You see, Jacob had lived this life of deception, trying to cheat his way out of what wasn't his, and he longed for his father's blessing. He longed to receive his father's inheritance. But all that wealth and all that status and everything that came with his birthright that he cheated out of his brother, it didn't bring him happiness. He then went off and lived his life, but he, he felt this unease within his spirit. He felt something within him that... that that God then led him to want to go and build restoration with his brother, to find forgiveness. And then he finds himself alone and helpless and apart from his family and desperate for restoration. He finds himself in this place and, and tired and exhausted. God begins to wrestle with him. God begins to wrestle with him and help him to come to a place where he recognizes on his own that actually I'm not going to be able to achieve what I want to achieve without God. I'm not going to be able to see the breakthrough that I want to see without God. I'm not going to be able to find that restoration that I'm longing for without God. You see, as we wrestle with things in our lives, no matter what it is that you're facing this morning, we're not going to be able to see the breakthrough that we're after. We're not going to receive the blessing that we long for until we surrender to God and say, I am not enough. I need you in my life. And so Jacob gets to that point after, after fighting all night. All night, it says, and, and daybreak came. And his, his hip was out of joint. And the scripture says that he clung to the man. You can almost sense the exhaustion as he's just kind of clinging to this man, not wanting to, to give up, not wanting to stop, not wanting to, to move away. And he says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. You see, he was still seeking blessing and he was still seeking inheritance. But I think at this moment, he'd finally realized where he should be seeking those things. And recognizing that this man wasn't just a man, that actually there was something about this man. He recognized that if he asked for a blessing, he was going to get 
something spiritual. He was going to get a heavenly blessing. He was going to receive his, his eternal inheritance as he clung desperately to this man, begging him to bless him. We don't wrestle with God and then come out looking the same. We don't wrestle with God and, and walk away looking the same. You see, Jacob wrestled with God all night and then he walked away with a limp. And that limp would remind him forever of that night that he wrestled with God and he clung to God and he desperately cried out for the blessing that he longed for. But not only that, he walked away from this fight with a new identity. You see, he was no longer Jacob, cheater, deceiver. He was now Israel, a prince of God. Israel, prince of God. He, he finally got the inheritance that he after in it. It wasn't something physical and tangible and, and an inheritance of this earth. It was an eternal, heavenly inheritance. And that's an inheritance that you and I have access to this morning. If we just say to God, I surrender to you. I give my life over to you. I'm sorry for, for what I've done. I, I recognize that in my own strength, I'm not good enough. In my own strength, I can't achieve what I'm trying to achieve, what I'm, what I'm striving for. So I need you in my life. And, and so I surrender. And as we surrender to God as we come to that place of of surrender he blesses us he gives us a new identity in him and we can walk out of this place changed we can walk out of this place with our father our heavenly father's inheritance we can walk out of this place with a new name a name that says you are loved a name that says you have hope a name that says I love you you are loved what are you wrestling with this morning? What are you wrestling with this morning? Jacob was looking for something that night and, and I believe he found it. It just looked nothing like he was expecting. And I think we can be a bit like that, can't we? We, we know we need something. Lord God, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I just need some finances to help me get through. I'm really struggling right now. So I just want to hand that over to you. And we kind of give our problems to God and then we start to think about oh well God could just do this couldn't he and we start to kind of make plans for God and maybe offer up some suggestions of of what he might do maybe it's just an anonymous check that comes through the door you could do that or or you could you find me in a, in a, in a new career that's going to give me what and we kind of make these plans and we think oh this is what God will do God answers our prayers when we cry out to him God answers our prayers but his answers almost never look like what we're expecting it to look like and that's what makes this walk of faith so exciting because we step out in faith and we say God I'm just going to hand this over to you because the Bible says that I can hand over my worries to you and I can leave them at your your feet so I'm just going to leave them there and I'm not going to try and second guess what it is that you're going to do and we can just wait and be surprised by the way that he comes through we can be surprised by the way he answers our prayers. You see, Isaiah 55 says, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We can try and, and assume what God's going to do, but you can, you can bet your dollar that it's not going to look like that. It's going to look something totally different. Totally different. 
But what boldness we see from Jacob as he wrestles with God. And as the morning came and he's, he's just clinging to this man out of desperation, out of just a, a desire to, to get what he came for. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to give up. What persistence, what, what boldness that we see. And I pray this morning that we will act in that same desperation, that we will act out of that same level of persistence. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with this morning, don't just offer up a prayer to God and, and then leave it with him. Pray continuously. There's that, that portion of scripture isn't there, that talks about the, the neighbor who knocks on his, his neighbor's door and he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking. He's like, no, I'm in bed, go away. But he keeps on knocking and he keeps on knocking. And it's because of his persistence that he came down and gave him what he needed. God calls us to be persistent, to cling on to him and to not let go until we've received our blessing. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop crying out. Don't stop asking God. Fight for your answer. Wrestle for your healing. Petition for your miracle. Cry out to God for your breakthrough. Don't let go until you've received your blessing. Don't let go. When we surrender, the blessings will follow. It's like Yvonne was, was sharing as we, we talked about the offering, that actually there's, there's kind of one thing that leads to another. And, and as we surrender to God, the blessings will follow. As we surrender to God, blessings will follow. And Jacob came to a place of surrendering. I got nothing more to give. I can't fight anymore. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm desperate. But I'm going to cling on to you just a little bit longer until you bless me. And God blessed him. But let me just quickly look at Genesis 33 verse 4. Just how this kind of story wraps up. So obviously he wrestled with God and God had sent him away with a limp and his, his new name and his new identity. And he, he still had this journey to go on to meet his brother. And he didn't know what that was going to look like because his brother had 400 men with him. But he says as he got near to his brother, Esau ran to meet him. I mean, you can almost, I don't know how Jacob felt, but even after all night wrestling with God, as you see your brother who hates you and the 400 men behind him, and then he starts to run. I mean, I don't know. What are you thinking in that moment? Is this a good run? Is he just going to like start pounding on me? I don't know what's going on. But it's almost like that vision of the prodigal son where the father just runs and he just embraces his brother. It says that he ran to meet him and he embraced him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and they wept together. It's just a beautiful picture of how God wants to greet you when you finally turn your back on the way that you've been living, when you finally come to a place of surrender where you say, I can no longer do this life on my own, but I need you. And so we turn back to face him and as soon as he, he sees our heart, as soon as he sees us surrendering our lives to him, he begins to sprint towards us. And it's not a scary sprint. It's one of, of reckless abandon and joy where he just wants to jump on us and kiss us and embrace us and say, I love you. I'm for you. I'm so glad that you've returned 
to me. Recognize your own weakness. And as you recognize your own weakness, you come to that place of surrender. Because in submission, we find true, st- true strength. Nothing is stronger than our God. Nothing is stronger than creator God, saviour of the world, king of kings, lord of lords, healer, counsellor, all of the names under the sun that we can call out to God. Nothing is stronger than him. He's perfect in every way. He has known no wrong. And so as we see in the story of Jacob, when we come face to face with God and our broken and regretful spirit can be humble. It's there that we can find breakthrough. When we come to that place of dependence, where we come to that place of surrender, God just wants to embrace you and say, I love you and I'm for you and I've got your back. So I encourage you this morning that whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever it is that you're, you're fighting, you know, that if we're sensible in this, the sooner we can't win this fight without God. So the sooner we come to a place of submission, the sooner we get to a place of surrender, the quicker God can embrace us, the quicker he can begin to love on us once more, and the quicker we can receive our blessings. So what are you wrestling with this morning? And are you willing to surrender to God? Why don't we close our eyes and pray? Lord God, I just thank you that You are for us and not against us. I thank you that you've got our backs, that even though we kind of strive to do things in our own strength and we we fight for for the things that we're, we're after and we struggle and we strive, that actually when we just surrender and hand it all over to you, you've got it. And we can relax and we can take a breath and we can just trust that you're for us, that you will answer our prayer that you will give us a new identity, that you will give us the the blessing that we so long for. So Father, I pray that we we will come to that place of surrender quickly, that it won't take us a long time, that we'll just recognize our own weakness and we'll, we'll just open up our arms wide and say, God, I need you in this. I can't see the breakthrough I'm after without you. I can't see the the restoration I'm after without you. I can't see the the healing that I'm looking for without you, so I surrender it all to you. And God, I just thank you that as we surrender our lives over to you, you take such care of them. Because you're such a good father, you're such a loving father that you know already what it is that we desire, you know already what it is that we want, and you, you can't wait to bless us with it. But when we come to that place of surrender, it's there that we can meet you. It's there that we can receive our blessings. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're wrestling with. But I just pray that you will surrender it over to God this morning. And maybe there's some people here this morning that that don't know God or that have turned their back on him. And I just want to say, Don't struggle anymore. Don't wait any longer. Turn back round to him. 
or turn around to him for the first time and say, God, I surrender everything that I am to you. And in that moment, he will meet you. In that moment, it will look like reckless love because he just wants to wrap his arms around you and embrace you and kiss you and, and tell you that he loves you and, and tell you that he's for you. And so if that's you this morning and you just want to surrender your life over to God, whether it's for the first time or, or a recommitment, then let's, let's make a, an opportunity this morning for you to do that. 